All right, welcome to the Bridge Podcast. I'm here with Tolgahan Cholu, and Tolgahan is a guitarist, uh, a microtonal guitarist in particular, and um, he's got tons of interesting projects that I want to dive into today, but uh, thanks so much for joining me, Tolgahan. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Now, uh, usually the way that I do this interview, you know, I start off with a, an icebreaker of just asking people about their coffee preferences, if they have any. Do you drink coffee? Uh, do you have any coffee habits you can share with me? I have a habit. Uh, my coffee habit is one Turkish coffee a day. Okay. So, uh, you know, some people in Turkey, they have two or three even. Uh, for example, my mom drinks uh, twice a day. Uh, but uh, one is enough for me. Have you ever tried Turkish coffee? Not really, not authentically prepared or anything. It's quite strong, uh, maybe like an espresso in a way, uh, but I really like uh, Turkish coffee. So my routine is my daily routine for the past, for the last five years, I think, uh, at least is um, mostly after lunch, uh, I have uh, one Turkish coffee with my 100% uh, dark chocolate. Ooh, good. So, uh, but 100% dark chocolate uh, with some uh, raisins attached to it. Uh, hang on, my wife's alarm is ringing. Uh, sorry. No, 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 do what you gotta do. Okay, let's wait for the alarm to finish. Okay, it's gone. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, one Turkish coffee a day with 100% dark chocolate. Uh, raisins or cranberries attached. Ooh, okay. This is the uh, coffee habit. But when I uh, when I tour, when I have concerts abroad, because I cannot find Turkish coffee, uh, I mostly prefer uh, replace it with cafe latte. Okay. Uh, and but you know, Turkish people uh, here the tea is a big thing. So you know, every day uh, for my breakfast, I have uh, three small belly-shaped glasses of tea. If it is not a, a belly-shaped glass, I don't drink. <laughs> it's yeah, quite... Wares uh, are important. Yes, you know, I couldn't solve it. I'm, I, I need some articles about that, but the taste really changed for me. And so you, you drink the coffee and have chocolate and stuff, particularly after a meal, you said? Uh, I, you know... My body needs it. Uh, so I had my breakfast like around nine after my daily walk. Gotcha. So, you know, after I wake up, I start walking. So then I have my breakfast with my three uh, small uh, glass uh, teas. Then uh, I continue with a lot of water. So water is my main beverage. Okay. For the, since I, since I written my PhD thesis uh, 12 years ago. You know, I replaced all my bad habits with water, consciously, and I am so uh, glad about my decision. Anyway, uh, then my body wants the Turkish coffee around uh, noon, 12. But you know, if I uh, sometimes, you know, I can't, uh, I, I go for it. <laughs> but in that scenario. I get a little bit sleepy around four or five sometimes. Interesting, okay. So that's a problem. Uh, but if I uh, have my coffee after lunch uh, around 1, one thirty, then, you know, I'm awake for the afternoon. So, you know, this is my body's routine. Gotcha. Um, and we don't have to talk about coffee this long, but uh, I just want to know real quick, do you, do you prepare it with like an Ibrick and everything? Uh, I have a machine. Okay. Uh, so you ask how I do it, do it right? Mm -hmm. I, I have a machine. So uh, I, but I always uh, open the box. Uh, I always smell because I love the smell. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes I go for a freshly, you know, fresh coffee. In some places in Istanbul, they sell it. It's very like, it's a big tradition since the Ottoman Empire, like hundreds of years, maybe 500 years or uh, no, maybe 
I don't know. You know, I read a lot of things about coffee history that maybe it was carried during the Ottoman Empire. It, it was something. I don't want to say something wrong, mm. but you know, you can read about it. Anyway, but uh, so sometimes I buy fresh and it smells, smells very important. <laughs> awesome. Well, great. Good to have this uh, this side of you. You know, uh, I don't think anybody else has interviewed you, interviewed you about your coffee habits. So, <laughs> um, so I, I I guess to get into the microtonal guitar stuff, I I first have a provocation for you, and I'm curious what you think about it. Um, I was thinking basically, you know, when you're doing all these tunings, you know, they're they're very proportional. There's like a a sort of resonance about them that's particularly nice, but in many ways, isn't the equal division of the octave more microtonal in some respect? Like, uh, because in the sense that if you're using logarithms and you're, you know, having all these numbers that are kind of irrational numbers instead of like clean, nice ratios of like, you know, this number to that number. Um, so when you get this long string of numbers, uh, like a floating point number, uh, isn't that kind of like more microtonal in some ways? Yeah, you know, this is a very good question. Uh, I've been discussing this uh, with my teachers and friends for a long time because, you know, uh, for example, uh, Turkish makam music scholars, mm -hmm. uh, for example, for them, my uh, my teacher and friend, uh, Dr. Michael Ellison, for example, thinks that uh, calling Turkish traditional music, makam music, microtonal, mm -hmm. he he doesn't prefer it because, you know, he says this, you know, sound world, the uh, Turkish Makam music sound world uh, for him uh, is in tune. And maybe from that perspective, uh, from all these ratios, 12 sets is a great microtonal, <laughs> uh, another microtonal system. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, it of course depends on uh, from which uh, direction you Look, but of course, if my favorite, one of my favorite uh, tuning is the natural tuning, just intonation, mm -hmm. uh, the five limit, just intonation, seven limit, I played, I recorded, and it's quite addictive. So I really enjoy it, uh, playing just intonation, uh, music that uh, my composer friends write for me. Um, and if we uh, accept that the ratios of nature is in tune, Mm -hmm. Of course, 12 sets is a very microtonal, a very tempered, uh, you know, out of tune uh, system. Mm -hmm. uh, if it answers your question. So, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, I, I'm curious. Uh, so, I mean, you said five limit and seven limit. Uh, do you ever go up to 11 limit? Yes. My friend, Flynn Cohen. Uh, we met in uh, Boston. I had a concert in Boston, a fine art museum, and uh, at, at the conference. Anyway, so uh, the opening concert of the conference, uh, you know, Flynn played, I think, banjo. Anyway, then, you know, I met with Flynn and I told him that uh, I'm a guitarist. I came from Istanbul. I have a concert uh, with microphone guitar. Then we, uh, we became friends. And then Flynn composed me a tune called Planks de Gilmore okay. in 11 limits, just intonation. It's on my webpage. It's on my YouTube channel. So uh, I think that was the first 11 limit piece I played. Uh, let me think of any others so I played. Now, you know, I, I'm losing track <laughs> because it's been, you know, it's been 14 years in my active performing a microtonal guitar journey. Mm -hmm. So uh, I start losing track with many pieces, many compositions. Um, 11 limits. So Harry Park's music was 43, it was in 11 limits, right? Not 13. I I think it was, I know it was 43 tones. I'm not sure what the- So it was either, either 11 or 13, but probably 11. But you know, okay, I didn't play Harry Parts. But so anyway, I, I played Stilling Cohen's music in 11. Mm -hmm. And I like, I like the ratios. Yeah, it's super interesting to me. I, I love that tuning. Um, I, I just, you played? I, 
I, mean, I I play the rhythms like all I was actually trying to put them all into the rhythmic domain the other day, Ooh. but um I just my guitars are fi or my uh, frets are fixed, so I don't really have much I could do. Um, it, do you ever think about microtonality in that sense of like something that could be moved to the rhythmic domain because like uh, especially when you're dealing with you know say like you know uh, just intonation like those are essentially polyrhythms that are just really fast, right? Yeah. You know, or I think it's applicable, but uh, I haven't thought about this. Uh, so you know, it's an uh, it might be a very original mm. uh, and unique uh, field. So I would like to hear your trials. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll send you some. Uh, some yeah, ideas. please, please. Um, I'm curious. Is there any time that you think that the equal temperament is actually the most appropriate tuning? You know. Um, I played in 12-tone equal temperament, yes, uh, maybe until uh, 2008, which means I've been playing the guitar since I was 12. So uh, for a very long time, 12 sets I played, and I'm still playing 12 sets. So, you know, I have a daily practice routine for ages mm -hmm. and my practice routine has like maybe at least 30 40 uh, uh, classical guitar repertoire pieces mm -hmm. that i keep looping uh, to for my muscle memory uh, to prove to still prove that I can play the guitar every day <laughs> so I, I I haven't lost anything you know uh, and you know I have a we, I have a video called history of the guitar in 100 with 100 pieces mm -hmm. in 16 minutes the themes I played chronologically so I still uh, uh, I still play that uh, so it's in, in one of my loops so it is like the hundred themes from the classical guitar history from Renaissance to 20, uh, 20, 20th, end of 20th century. Anyway, and in that loop, you know, I start with Greensleeves, then uh, Luis de Narvaez, John Dowland, then Bure, uh, Bach, Bure, Bach, Chacon, the, some themes. But, you know, if, if I remember the piece, I keep playing, so try to play maybe sometimes the whole piece. Then, you know, skip, so it's not the shorter version. Anyway, so, uh, you know, I don't, I believe I don't have a problem with 12 sets mm -hmm. because, um, I mean, I am so used to it uh, because of my background, because of my childhood mm -hmm. preferences, because, you know, uh, I'm a huge fan of Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, mm -hmm. uh, King Crimson, yes, Progressive Rock. Uh, Iron Maiden, uh, some Turkish uh, bands. So um, these are great music in 12 sets, right. mostly, mostly mm -hmm. like, let's say 95% or 90%. Uh, so, or Paco de Lucia, mm -hmm. Astor Piazzolla, uh, Aziza Mustafa Zadeh, Inti Ilimani. You know, these are my favorite musicians who, who played in 12 sets. So, uh, but because I was raised in Istanbul, uh, so at the same time, I've been listening to the microtonal music of traditional music. Mm -hmm. Since I was born, I, you know, five times a day, I hear it from the mosque. I hear five different makams, five different modes every day. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially the one in the morning is my favorite, like, if I wake up at five, six, it, it, you know, it changes. You know, I listen and then I start dreaming or I wake up. I don't know, but I listen because it's all improvised in, in the modes. Interesting, okay. So it's not standard, the call, of, uh, call for prayer. Anyway, uh, so, uh, so I feel lucky to, uh, to live in Istanbul. You know, we have all the classical Western music, the, classical, okay, popular Western music, jazz, whatever. And also, of course, uh, the traditional microtonal music, 
which is a huge thing in Turkey, mm-hmm. because we have two huge genres that, you know, I'm, I feel so lucky uh, many cultures don't have this. Uh, for example, Indian culture has have this feature like classical Indian music, a, like Carnatic music, Southern, Northern, many traditions. So we have a multicultural Anatolian folk music, like thousands of uh, different examples in different rhythms, in different languages, Turkish, Kurdish, Greek, Armenian, Georgian, Caucasian, anyway. And at the same time, just like classical Indian music, we have classical Turkish music in the urban the centers of the Ottoman Empire, which is again multicultural with the help of the Jewish, Armenian, Greek, Turkish, Arabic composers, all together creating this music mm-hmm. in the cities. So two different traditional music genres is, I feel very lucky. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, in that video that you were talking about where you do the, the 100 pieces, um, sort of going through chronologically, I know that you played um, a little excerpt of Elliot Carter in there, and um, I'm I'm curious have you have you ever played Elliot Carter's music on like just intonation? Because that to me seems like maybe the one time that um, we got a cat friend. Um, it yeah. seems like maybe one of the most appropriate instances for um, equal division of the octave. But I, I'd be curious how it sounds on some sort of other just intonation. Yeah, I remember playing it, and you know during that uh, time, which is way like more than 10 years ago. Um, I remember learning maybe the first page or even one or two pages, but you know, I totally now forget about the piece. Can you remind me? So so it's not a microtonal piece, it's in 12 pets. So have you ever played that? Um, I haven't, no. I mean, I, I got the music out of a, a music library once and it was just exceedingly difficult uh, because you know it's all these tuplets and you know they're all, all over the place. It's super angular and it's just uh yeah <laughs> it's difficult to play so i i gave up on it yeah but your question was uh, to play elite carter's piece in a uh, piece in just intonation right yeah or uh i mean it, it, i'm just curious if that's an instance of a piece where equal division of the octave is preferable because it's kind of atonal and like there isn't a, a single tone that's I, supposed to be at the center you know that's a very good project you know if one of my phd students would be interested in playing Elliot Carter's piece, I can, you know, suggest about this idea because, you know, uh, because I found the uh, microtonal guitar department in Istanbul for the master's and PhD uh, levels, uh, we are trying many, you know, uh, diverse projects mm-hmm. like contemporary uh, music, Renaissance Baroque tunings, Makam music, of course, uh, just intonation, uh, edos, different edos. So uh, this is a great idea. We can it can be tried. Cool, cool. Um, let's see here. Um, so I, to talk about the guitar specifically, um, you know, it, it's really interesting what you're doing, being able to like adjust where the frets are placed uh, along the string. But I'm curious, um, how do you think about the string to string ratio, and does like the the random major third that's thrown into the typical guitar tuning is that part of the problem with guitar tuning? Uh, yes, I have a video about this, like major third problem of all the guitars in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I'm happy with the results because it was worth like more than 700,000. Uh, yes, uh, the harmonic series, and you know, we are lucky because we have the harmonic series clearly on the guitars, mm-hmm. and they don't match. They don't match. This, the fifth harmonic, you know, this crazy the guitar frets are too high and of course the seventh harmonic is way too high like 31 cents high so uh, yes this is a, a big problem uh, for all the guitars in the world and uh, the adjustable microtonal guitar that i designed uh, is i believe a perfect solution uh, an ideal solution because you know i believe um, if you have six frets um, sometimes you cannot have pure accuracy because of maybe the strings get old. So, you know, it might uh, change a few cents, like even one or two cents, but you know, so, but 
my adjustable microtonal guitars, you know, I can, with a touch of the hammers, I can move it half a millimeter to the left if I'm unhappy. So, you know, anything is possible in a few seconds, mm -hmm. in any tuning, in any key, any tuning system. So uh, it is a big uh, positive feature, I think, these guitars. Uh, so I'm so happy about the results. Uh, since 2008. Awesome. Um, in terms of like trying to make the guitar work with the harmonic series uh, the best that I could, would it make sense to do something else like, you know, tune it more like in a 50 sort of way? Like, uh, you know, right now the standard tuning is basically stack fourths and a major third, but would it make sense to do more of like a cello type thing or something where, you know, you're doing like, you know, A to E to, you know, uh, B to something like that? Would there be any advantage to that, do you think? You you mean uh, tuning the open strings? Yeah. In that ratios. Yeah, or it just in, uh, like, I'm wondering if there's something besides fourths that would work better, potentially. Like, it would, of course, make the fingerings all, all, uh, all over the place, but... Yes, I played many pieces in different open string uh, tunings. For example, Pythagorean, uh, Pythagorean uh, tunes. Of course, fourths. Uh, maybe yeah, I full fourths in Pythagorean ratios. So it's all um, minus two, minus four, minus six, minus eight. So it's getting uh, lower. Uh, but then, oh, I I adjust all my friends. Uh, all my not friends. Okay, frets are my friends, but <laughs> all, uh, all my frets accordingly. So. Uh, Two weeks ago, I played in Amsterdam in Huygens Fokker Foundations with the Fokker organ. Uh, a Turkish composer composed us a 31-tone equal temperament, tempered uh, new music, and we premiered, uh, we premiered that piece. So I needed 10 minutes to go to backstage and change all the atlas of my fretboard, uh, fretboard from the Macam tuning that I just played at the beginning of the concert to 31 tone because uh, for example the B, open B mm -hmm. the second string open B was 32 cents higher okay. so you know you should you keep uh, checking that for 32 cents higher B for the open string, while adjusting all the uh, frets that you're gonna use, not all of them, you know, I know I have a chart, I make charts. So the frets that I need for the specific piece, so I don't, uh, so I, you know, I gain some time, I don't waste some time. So, uh, but that B string took a lot of time, mm. but in 10 minutes, I managed to convert all my fretboards to 31-tone uh, Edo for that uh, piece. And then uh, the Fokker organ was already in 31-tone Edo. Then, you know, after 10 minutes, uh, while Fokker organ may play a solo piece, I came backstage and uh, we premiered the piece. So open string uh, is, of course, possible, but you need more time to adjust all the frets that you need. Man, a 31 tone sounds crazy. Um, it does that, like, what does that end up sounding like on guitar? Is that, like, something that you can approximate? Like, does it approximate one of the just intonations? Or, um... Yes, it's a very, uh, you know, uh, it's a very good system. It approximates the quarter comma mean tone. Okay. So it's very, yeah, and... Uh, Yes, uh, the Edo people uh, has a special fondness, uh, I believe, mm -hmm. for 30, 31. And you know, this Huygens Fokker Foundation in Amsterdam, because Adrian Fokker uh, designed uh, the Fokker organ in 1950, and they've been creating new music around that. And you know, I watched the crazy concerts before my concert, uh, Jean. Jean Wall uh, Bolton, uh, I'm sorry if I say, uh, but he played hyperthermin. 
Interesting. So, you know, if you are uh, interested in these hyper things, uh, like hyper piano, uh, hyper, hyper theremin, uh, he, um, he connects the, his theremin to the focal organ. Okay. So, you know, and, uh, you know, it's a theremin. So, and we have also visuals. So everything changes when he shakes his hands, the visuals, the pipes at the background. Uh, it, it was uh, crazy. Very cool. Crazy. Super interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm sure if you uh, Google uh, hyperthermin, you will find them. Mm -hmm. So that uh, he is a compo composition professor. Uh, anyway, so uh, that uh, Fokker organ is something, and 31 ton Ido is a very good one to approximate some uh, just ratios and uh, very close to quarter ton, uh, quarter common in ton. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm intrigued that you are, I don't know if you intuited it or if I told you previously or something that I'm interested in hyper things. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I spoke to a hyper pianist recently, um, oh. and then also a different type of hyper pianist and hyper has been kind of the word of the podcast for the past month. So, uh, wow. So, you know, it, it was the first hyper concert for me when I was the hyper theremin. <laughs> And now I'm so interested, like, do you think this hyper means connecting the piano to the computers or prepare it? That's the thing. Like, I think it means different things to different people. Um, okay, so it's not guy, standard. One guy that I talked to, basically, he has a, a piano with inharmonic strings. And so he uh, unravels the outside ends of the strings, so the middle part's thicker. And then he has it distributed over two octaves, I think, or no. Maybe it's two octaves within one octave. But um, then the other guy just has like some dual CD cases that he like plays like slide piano with basically on the end. So, wow. so, um, that, I guess so interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Um, I'm curious, uh, do you ever, have you ever fiddled around with MIDI guitar as a means of exploring microtonality? Uh, no, not yet. Uh, I uh, played electric when I was at high school. Then get back to classical and flamenco guitar at my bachelor's degree. Uh, and then during my PhD, uh, start my microtonal guitar journey. Uh, three months ago, I finally got my first adjustable electric microtonal guitars. And now, you know, I already made four videos, I think, uh, about it. And I'm so excited about it. It's infinite, infinite. And, you know, I have like hundreds of video projects. Like, you know, for example, the major third problem of all the guitars. I think now I should do a vertical video for the social media, like this vertical stuff. Of course, on the electric guitars, because, you know, you can hear the beatings of, mm -hmm. You know the A major chord, it it has a problem, or E major chord has a problem with the E G sharp or A C sharp. So you know maybe I will play it. I will try to make people hear wah 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 wah, wah and then I will hammer it to minus fourteen cents. Then I play, then it sounds like perfect fifth or perfect fourth, <laughs> like just perfectly tuned. So, you know, it's infinite. Um, regarding your question, yeah, of course, maybe after 10 years, if I, I hope if I do like hundreds of projects in my mind, uh, maybe the next step could be to, you know, uh, to have a MIDI adjustable microtonal electric guitars. I don't know, we'll see. Mm -hmm. um... I'm sort of, it's curious to me that uh, the microtonal guitar, like the way that you do it, which seems to work out very well. Um, I'm surprised that nobody's really like capitalized on that already. Or like, like it seems like, are, are you the first person that's really made headway in that department with the adjustable guitar? Or has that been done before by people? Uh, as far as I know, and no one objected me, uh, I founded the world's first microtonal guitar department in 2014 okay. at Istanbul Technical University. 
Uh, I know that Alois Haba, the Czech composer, uh, founded a microtonal music department in Prague, if I'm not wrong, in 1920s, for, a, for some years, for maybe 10 or 20 years, but then it's been closed. Gotcha. Um, I think before Second World War or during maybe. So, um, but I'm so excited because, you know, now I have first master's student graduated and I have a new master's student and he wants to play Turkish instrumental makam traditional music. He wants to arrange and he wants to write a master's thesis about it to analyze the chords he's been using, the counterpoint he's using. So you know, I, I sometimes share uh, his videos on my Instagram, uh, on my stories, you know, because he's a very good guitarist. Uh, my PhD student is applying, uh, adapting. Uh, there's a very nice neck lute, traditional neck lute we call tambours, very long with, you know, uh, with many frets on it, many, many tight frets. Uh, and it has a very special uh, ornamentation techniques. So now he's adapting these tambour ornamentation playing techniques into microtonal guitar performance. Nice. And my other PhD, I have uh, my second PhD student is working on contemporary microtonal Turkish music repertoire. So uh, he commissions uh, pieces uh, to some uh, Turkish composers. So now he's recording uh, and he's planning to make an album uh, with, you know, very, um, so it's not makam, so it's like contemporary, but you have some makam, but it's also sometimes very experimental uh, pieces. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's unlimited. Uh, if I have a student who wants to play Renaissance harpsichord music on the guitars, mm -hmm. so, you know, we can also do that. So I'm uh, happy that it's, um, I'm free, so no one is limiting me. Awesome. So that's great because, you know, if they say, oh, this is Turkish music concertory, so please teach Turkish makam music on the microphone guitar only, you know, I would feel bad, but no one says, they, they, they believe me and uh, they encourage me. So that's good. It's awesome that you have like a, a sort of hub of people that are interested in this stuff and want to pursue it. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, I'm curious, uh, in terms of like the sort of engineering stuff with the microtonal guitar, where where do you see it or where would you like to see it in like 10 years and say like 100 years? Uh, you know, um, I organized the world's first microtonal guitar festival in 2019. And the, the title of the panel uh, was Microtonality as the Future of Music. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we discussed this in a round table with John Schneider, Jürgen Rook uh, from Würzburg University, Fernando Perez from Spain. So it was such an amazing event. Anyway, um, so I believe microtonal guitars are uh, a big portion of the feature of the guitars. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, maybe because of the huge industry with billions of profits done like dollars mm -hmm. uh, you know the guitar and piano industry is crazy right and they want everything standardized so 12 that is perfect for them so they can sell uh, millions of pianos and guitars every year so uh, but i'm observing a huge interest for example i after 14 years finally i found my company, Microtonal Guitars Music Technologies in Istanbul, and we start selling uh, adjustable guitar fretboards and guitars this uh, this summer in August. Um, and I know that since 2008, I'm keeping all my all the emails that people send me, and now maybe it's over 1,000. Excellent. So in 14 years. Over 1,000 people asked me, how much is this guitar? Do you produce it? Do you sell it? But uh, I wait for 14 years. <laughs> yeah. 
because you know uh, because uh, I believe I like had a mission uh, back in 2008 because you know in 2008 um, I owe my career of course to John Schneider and John Schneider's book The Contemporary Guitars um, and you know I was in touch with of course John and now that I think about it, maybe in 2008, we have a very limited microphone guitar repertoire. Mm -hmm. So I had my guitar, but I couldn't find anything new to play. Mm -hmm. John plays, you know, maybe, let's say, 100 pieces, let's say, mm -hmm. uh, from by great composers, Lou Harrison, Harry Parks, Terry Riley, Ben Johnston, uh, and of course, uh, he mentioned many guitarists, Michael Tony guitarists in his book, uh, in 1985 book, uh, contem version, uh, contemporary guitars. And that, that's it, the Michael Tony guitar repertoire. So uh, I believe this is my mission. So like Segovia did in early 20th century, going to composers, make them compose, introduce the Michael Tony guitars, so I did this with more than 40 composers. Uh, and then I also did arranging and still I'm arranging so much because we have 10,000s of traditional microtone music waiting to be arranged for the microtone guitar repertoires. So, and then this uh, competition I started in 2016, I am so happy because we have now over 30 uh, awarded arrangements and over 15, I think, compositions. And it's, you know, multiplying every year. So now, you know, I can talk about maybe over 300, 400 pieces mm -hmm. in 2022 with all the people coming, you know, uh, and these departments, these competitions, and, you know, other people in the US, in Europe, other microfests. Uh, so, you know, it's multiplying logarithmically. And regarding your question, uh, I think it's a big deal in, uh, for the future of guitar music. Mm -hmm. It's a very big deal. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, in terms of the actual instruments themselves, like the design of the instruments, um, like, I mean, seeing you just like take the little hammer and adjust the frets really quick, it seems pretty easy um it, i mean how much better can the technology get like you know the automatic guitar that you have is uh that's that's insane um but like i mean how much like what what do you think the state of the art will be in terms of like microtonal luthery um in 10 years yeah so? my answer is so simple for this and it's so you know uh, easy if if someone today gives me one million dollars mm -hmm. i can in a few years i will present you the feature of microtonal guitar and feature of the guitar <laughs> you know it is uh, fully automatic uh, and now you know okay we released the first uh, one string prototype mm -hmm. and you know we couldn't find the sponsor so you know the project stopped after seven years but you know i am happy that you know at least we give an idea to to the world because you know i'm expecting many automatic microtone guitars in the future mm -hmm. and i hope we will have many you know in that in an ideal world i would like to organize a competition called uh, microtonal guitar design competition something mm -hmm. uh, you know with the advancements in technology 3d printing we can have many designs in nanotechnology right. uh, but now I got a, I know a, a new uh, design, not the design uh, that uh, I have, but uh, the design that I showed already to the world in my video history of the microphone guitars, the vertical, uh, you know, vertical movements, mm -hmm. up and down. So you know, if I have one million dollar today, if a Bitcoin. Uh, rich uh, people watching this uh, podcast or listening to this podcast during uh, their uh, morning jogging and <laughs> if they have like uh, 400 bitcoins so you know we can do it and uh, their names will be in the uh, music history and uh, the guitar history and 
also their names will be in the music museum, musical instruments museum in Istanbul or in Belgium, Brussels. You know, we have some uh, musical instrument museums uh, around the world. And I'm sure that guitar will be, will end up in one of those museums. Beautiful. But you know, but no funding, no people. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm waiting. Uh, so I, I initially came across your name from Neil Haverstick, who spoke very highly of you. And ah. um, something that I appreciate about Neil, appreciate about Neil, is that he, uh, you know, his guitar is like half the time he's using like Squire guitars that are just, you know, kind of like most guitars would scoff at it. And it's just a cheap guitar, and he loves it, and he just gets a luthier to refret it. And so um, that's that's interesting to me because there's something on this very affordable end that's allowing accessibility, but then. You know, you see John Schneider, and I'm not sure how much some of these, like, instruments cost, but, uh, like, his, like, parch guitar, like, that's a huge investment of time, if nothing else. And so, um, I guess uh, I'm curious to hear about how accessible you think this type of thing could be, because, I mean, if it's just a matter of putting a fretlet, like, is that already accessible to everybody? Um, yes. You know, I've been, I've been sending and I've been giving as presents thousands of fretlets since, 2014, like I can say you, I, I've given at least, at least 500 people. I'm sure more than because after my concerts and seminars around the world, I also have, you know, if, if you come backstage and want fretlets, I can give you three. So it's always in my pocket. So, uh, but for the competitions, I sent to more than uh, 500 guitarists more than 3,000 platelets, uh, wow. free, for free. Uh, because, you know, it's too cheap. It's so cheap. Uh, you know, I I have some Patreon, uh, Patreon supporters, like 30. And thanks to them, you know, I spent all the money on, you know, ordering uh, frets, uh, frets uh, from uh, Steve Mac. Then you know, give give a, a luthier friend of mine and uh, have this done. Anyway, uh, but uh, in summers, our electric guitar neck, which can be attached to Strato caster type guitars, okay. I think that might be a big thing uh, because you know I know that there's a, a, a huge demand for the electric adjustable microtonal guitars, and now. People are also also seeing uh, my new guitar mm -hmm. and what what you can do on it. It's infinite. Uh, so I I'm I hope you know we we will decrease the costs. Uh, if we can decrease the costs uh, and if it is affordable, uh, but of course it, it cannot be two hundred or three hundred dollars. It's not it's it's, it's not possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, but maybe, yeah, if it is around 800, <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe it's still, you know, it's a still big thing if you're interested in microtonal music. Yeah, definitely. Um, for like a, any old guitarist that just wants to start fiddling around with getting their guitar more in tune in this way, um, I mean, is it just a matter of having these fretlets and some tape and a tuner? Yes, it's it's a very basic double double-sided tape okay. and these frets that I distribute are for classical guitars. Uh, it is possible to apply those to acoustic or electric, but you need to, you know, uh, make it higher or file it. So it's a bit uh, hard, but you know, it's a few, in a few seconds, you can have just search on your E major chords, A major chords. <laughs> Yes, sometimes, you know, for example, I uh, watch uh, La Casa de Papel, and, you know, it's soundtrack, it's Tim's amazing guitar uh, tune, and I immediately play it uh, when the series uh, was over, but I remember taping two G-sharp, uh, just G-sharp fretlets, even all for La Casa de Papel, even for because you know I'm used to those nice uh, just major thirds, mm -hmm. so you know, and no one objected it. Uh, so it was one one guy wrote 
oh, I see the major, just major thirds, great. But no one says it's out of tune. Mm -hmm. And uh, although everyone listened to that uh, in 12 sets uh, in the series. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, in my opinion, in the features, I, it's, these are very cheap, uh, cheaply distributed. I think maybe all the guitarists should have some fretlets. Yeah, I, I'm kind of ashamed that I don't have any myself right now. <laughs> you know, uh, if you had written me uh, your mailing address in when I announced it in January, mm -hmm. this year I sent it to more than 100 people in 10 countries. Mm -hmm. Australia, United States, uh, Canada, uh, Brazil even this year. Uh, I can send you uh, when I announce it in December for free. Excellent. Because now I I run out, so I need I need I I got some for my students and for myself, uh, but for free distribution, you know, I have I need to order new. That, that's so generous and such a great service on your part to do that. Um, so thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, I believe I believe like a Santa. <laughs> Microsoft Santa. Fretlet Santa, yeah. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll put these links in the description. But your Lego guitar video is like, uh, if anybody like whether or not they're related or into uh, microtonal guitar, like they will be fascinated by this video. Um, and something that I thought was really interesting was you know you had these three D printed little tiny things, and um, like I thought that was such an elegant solution. So like, is that not? Uh, sort of like a is that any better or worse than the standard fretlets to get those little 3d printed things you know i just talked to my partner luthier Rushan because we had a documentary shooting last week they came from the us for our lego guitars and during that shooting we told like is there money now if there's an investment on it of course, I would like to try uh, even 3D printed metals mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, uh, I would like to try um, a special, even, you, you know, it can be an original Lego brick uh, with, uh, with the metal standard guitar frets attached. Mm. So I would like to try that, but, you know, because we don't have the means. Uh, I'm happy with it. It is um, uh, what was the material called? I keep PLA, I think, if I'm not wrong. Anyway, the material that we 3D printed. Um, so the timbre is there. Still, we have the timbre of classical guitars, which is the most important thing. Um, and yes, I'm happy with it. But you know, it might be a little bit better if you uh, if we use the standard metal uh, frets. Gotcha. But the fretless features for the Lego guitar is crazy. <laughs> I can make some frets fretless. You know, now this is so tempting. Like, uh, now I would like to play finally Indian music on the microphone guitar. Mm. Finally. Because, you know, I played Balinese music. So I have a video uh, which sounded really nice. I have many good uh, feedbacks from the Indonesian people. Um, but I had many connections with the Indian composers or, you know, Indian music experts, but no one uh, dared to compose for me. Probably, uh, you know, you can understand it because of the down, 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 mm -hmm. this, uh, this horizontal uh, movement uh, I can have many frets next to each other, but still, you know, no one there composing for me. But now, with the fretless feature of the level guitar, which is superior to my adjustable guitar, superior to automatic guitar, which is superior to any guitar in the world, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, I want to make F sharp fretless. And you have unlimited notes in F sharp. And you still have the others and you still have the polyphony, the sustain. Anyway, uh, now when I find a little time, I'm going to play Indian Excellent. music. I look forward to hearing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
uh, to just talk about some Turkish music stuff for a bit. Uh, so, you know, you sent me this documentary and I'll also put that in the show notes. It's a great watch for anybody who wants an intro to Turkish music. And um, something that I thought was maybe the the most interesting about it was seeing all the like, I don't know if you'd call it luthery or just like, you know, the instrument making and, you know, the woodworking and all that. And um, for me, I've been uh, like an electric guitarist for most of my life and um i i feel like i drift more and more into the computer like into fiddling around on the laptop sometimes the guitar is like in the closet for like weeks at a time and so um it doesn't seem like there's as much of a temptation towards just like synthetic means or artificial means of music creation it, is there something like that that you've seen in turkish music like more sort of fiddling on laptops and less beautiful wooden instruments <laughs> Yes, of course. You know, it is. Uh, we have a music scene uh, very similar to, especially in Istanbul, to some contemporary music centers. Uh, what I mean is, for example, in 2003, perhaps, we organized international spectral music conference in Istanbul. Okay. And I helped Tristan Murai getting his. Uh, fee is not fee. His, I think, plane ticket fee from a bank. So I take him uh, on a you know bus to somewhere. We went to a bank because I was a research assistant. Mm -hmm. So I was helping him, Tristan Murai. Uh, so uh, and we went to uh, Genoa in Italy for three weeks to Paganini Conservatory for a project. Uh, I. I was the partner, I mean, with the Turkish Music Conservatory, so I brought five of my students. And we have Bilgi University, and Bilgi University brought their laptop orchestra. Okay. So it was called Bilgi Laptop Orchestra. So, uh, and in Genoa, we played a concert with the laptop orchestra, five traditional Turkish instruments, my microtonal guitar, and some other partners. So it was a big, huge orchestra with many computer music, electronic music, and acoustic instruments. So anyway, so this is all trying to demonstrate to you the scene here, especially in Istanbul, is so li lively for electronic music, computer music, um, avant-garde music, uh, mostly thanks to uh, the place I'm teaching and where I had my master's and PhD. It's called Istanbul Technical University Center for Advanced Studies in Music. So it was founded in 1999. And thanks to that center, we have many, uh, you know, graduates. Uh, so thanks to that uh, place, I uh, designed my adjustable guitar. And I had my uh, microtone music interests, thanks to my teachers, Mark Lindley and Michael Ellison. So, I was so lucky. Awesome. So uh, the institution is allowed for just like a lively sort of creative atmosphere in the city of Istanbul? It is, yes, so lively. And, you know, Istanbul was the capital city of uh, the Roman Empire in 300. So, you know, it was already a capital city with its, you know, monuments, architectural buildings in 300. So, you know, it's, it has a huge history, and uh, now it's a melting pot. Uh, yeah, in terms of art, in terms of especially music. Um, and the documentary that I supervise, uh, it's called Traditional, uh, Traditional Music of Turkey with Wooden Instruments. Mm. Yes, it's also, you know, that you watched, uh, it demonstrates uh, a little bit, yes, the luthiery here, the traditional music lovers, the traditional different uh, music. Uh, but of course, it doesn't demonstrate this uh, the contemporary stuff. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, for myself and for my listeners, uh, would you mind providing like some suggestions for, I guess, like listening uh, for both sort of like the most historical authentic type of Turkish makam music or just Turkish music in general, as well as some, you know, like cutting edge, weird stuff, like avant stuff. Sure, sure, of course. 
So e, Tamburi Cemil Bey. Tamburi Cemil Bey is the first uh, virtuoso who recorded 140 uh, LP. Yes, it was it's, it must be LP. In 1905, he started recording. Until 1912, I think he recorded 140 wow. long plays. Maybe it's not, it wasn't long, even long plays. It was I don't know. It was maybe one of the predecessors. Anyway, uh, so Tambur Jemir Bey's 140 uh, long plays is a must listening because he's the first virtuoso who transmits the makam music that's you know dated back to 14th starting from the 14th century. So for the first time, people listened on his tambur, or on his kemence, the uh, uh, violin-like uh, instruments. Anyway, so tambur Cemil Bey, uh, I can say. Shall I write it on the chat box or? Oh, sure, that'd be awesome, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm also writing it, tambur Cemil Bey, LPs. Uh, then one of the many, uh, I will write, uh, for example, Dede Efendi is a very prominent uh, composer of the Ottoman Makam music. For the Anatolian folk music, uh, Aşık Veysel and uh, Neşet Ertaş, I strongly suggest. Um, and for a, a little bit contemporary uh, arrangements of these type of traditional music, we have an amazing band that I always, I also played for three years. Kardeş uh, Türkler can be listened. It's like the Chilean uh, band Inti Ilimani. This is the Turkish or Anatolian version. Um, yeah, and of course there are like hundreds more. <laughs> you know, I can write a lot of. But you know, uh, this can be a good start. And I, I also would like to write Erkan Or, the fretless guitar masters. Okay. Uh, Erkan Or. Thanks to him, we have a great fretless guitar accord since 1970s. Um, and many more. I'm so sorry that I, <laughs> you know, I haven't written hundreds no. more. <laughs> That's okay. This is plenty to start with. Um, is there anybody who's like kind of like like a, a Harry Parch of Turkish music. <laughs> uh, just not necessarily stylistic, stylistically, but in the sense that they're just kind of like doing something that's completely different and new. Yes, you know, um, the first generation of Turkish classical music composers is also called Turkish Five, like okay. in, in imitation of Russian Five. Gotcha. So which makes mostly uh, many music, many uh, great music, uh, but not no microtone music, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And uh, modal harmony, in a way, like Bartok, Russian Fives. Uh, but the second generation is really interesting. So, for example, I'm writing it into the checkbox. Ilham Mimaroldo is an amazing electric electronic music. Uh, this is the second generation, 1960s. And then Ilham Uswambash, who celebrated his 100th uh, birthday, I think last month or a few months ago. <coughs> um, and Bülent Arel. So this is, these three composers are the second generation of, and they are very avant-garde, like, but you know, they don't have anything about Makam music, Microsoft Makam music. Gotcha. But now, you know, now I can write to you, the new generation who is really interested in uh, microtonal polyphony, microtonal makam music, uh, so and who composed me a lot of piece, of course. So these are all my friends. So Onur Türkmen, Enis Gümüş, Tolga Zafer, Özdemir, Uraş Turmuş, um, Kamran Ince. You know, a lot of, uh, I'm so sorry that I already forget many of their names. Uh, but yes, I, I recorded all, most of their uh, music already. So please, yes, uh, you can listen to those composers. Awesome. This is great. Um, thank you for this. Um, yeah, hopefully one of these days I'll be sending you some microtonal music for 
<laughs> you to play. We'll yeah, see. please, please. <laughs> All right, well, um, I know that's getting late over there in Istanbul, so um, we can wrap up here. Um, it's been great talking with you, and uh, it's been a really interesting discussion. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Or, I mean, I'll direct people to your YouTube channel and such, um, but you know, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, yeah thank you, John. That's a, that was a great uh, chat, uh, and I, I'm so glad that you invited me for your podcast. Awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Well, Tolgahan, thanks for talking. Um, I'll talk to you in the future. Bye. Thank you. Adios.